Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Michael Chu. Michael enjoys learning about different perspectives and challenging assumptions through questions. He has had a diverse career in finance and operations, software and technology, and regulatory economics, including time training as a locomotive engineer and a product owner. His diverse experience allows him to look at complex ideas through multiple lenses and pinpoint the simplest core values. He is currently unlearning and relearning how to build intuitive web applications and effective architecture solutions as a full-stack developer. Michael is also volunteering with CPA Alberta to help accountants better adapt to the latest in software and technology. And let's join Mike now as he interviews Matt Lee. Take it away, Mike. Well, hello, listeners. Welcome to another week of Rainforest Alberta's podcast, Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas. Today, we have Matt Lee with us. I'm going to let Matt introduce himself and tell us a little bit about himself. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks, Mike, for having me. Um, yeah, a little bit about me. Uh, I guess you could say I'm ultimately a finance nerd, startup geek, um, fi- uh, yeah, accounting, not guru, maybe wannabe guru, I guess, uh, accounting novice. So about me, my background, uh, I'm an Alberta boy. I was born here in Edmonton. Uh, grew up in Edmonton during the Gretzky dynasty. That was always interesting. Um, and so I, I started my career just real quick about my history. Uh, I actually started uh, in the energy business, uh, like a lot of young Albertan boys. Uh, my family, uh, all my family worked in the energy services side. Uh, they were entrepreneurs themselves. And I did that till I was about 24 because I didn't know what I wanted to do after high school. And kind of just went around on the service company circuit, did a few different things. And then I, I decided that, you know, I was going to go back to school. Um, I had a passion for stock investing on my days off. So I took a finance and accounting major starting in 2014 or 2004, uh, graduated 2008, uh, which was a really great time for a finance student to graduate and uh, ended up going into public practice for a few years. I uh, started my CA program and dropped out of my CA program really quickly. And then through a roundabout way, I got introduced to a technology company in Calgary, um, ended up working for them for about five years. Uh, that was in, uh, yeah, just running business and uh, running teams uh, from a services side and account management side. Went down to Silicon Valley for three years, um, doing similar stuff, uh, fintech as well, and then I've been back in Alberta since 2017, I think, and uh, had a capital advisory business for a little bit, helping startups raise money. Uh, and then I've been, went back to the tech scene, working with some of my colleagues again uh, in a product management and uh, kind of product owner role. And so I've been in the fintech space for about 10 years now. Nice. That's a really uh, diverse set of experience you have. And it seems like you've gone full spectrum in a lot of kind of from the finance all the way to the product side. So before we start, just like I'm diving into some of that, um, one of the things we do at Rainforest Alberta all the time is we want to ask our guests, what is your superpower? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I have one, to be honest. Like I, I consider myself to be a jack of trade, jack of all trades, master of none. Um, and it honestly, like, I, I guess maybe the closest I could get to having a superpower is being a good learner um, and a good listener. Like, 
because at the end of the day, if, if you can't humble yourself enough to ask good questions, then, or at least attempt to do that, then you're going to have a tough time. And I, I've made so many mistakes in that regard. Uh, I've learned the hard way a lot. So if there's anything that I could give back to the ecosystem, it's just, just humble yourself and ask some good questions. That's really good advice for a lot of the listeners out there. Uh, so why don't you tell us about your new venture as kind of working as a product manager in the equity management space? Yeah, so I, I've been with uh, Certain Inc. for almost a year now. I uh, had a really good opportunity to join some of my colleagues that I've worked with before uh, at other ventures. And what, what we're responsible right now is helping grow out the, the private, private market space. And so our clients uh, kind of span the spectrum in terms of really large brand name public companies and right down to, uh, you know, a mom and pop in the garage. And so we, we service those companies like from, you know, from top to bottom. And what, what we're focused on right now is we have a strong initiative for the year to, to really help uh, that, that early stage, mid stage uh, private company ecosystem with, with their, their capital management. And what we mean by that from our perspective is technology solutions for the CFO so they can book their stock-based comp expense and so they can track their, their ownership records. That's really what it's about. Um, and it gets really nuanced, whether you're you know, a Canadian company, a U.S. company, a European company. There's a lot that kind of goes on, uh, specifically with accounting rules, uh, tax law, and, and re- regular just you know, workflow. And so we're really pushing towards uh, in, improving a lot of those workflows for those CFOs so they can spend time doing other things other than just, you know, copying, pasting uh, documents around. So that's that's what we're focused on right now. We're pretty excited about it. I'm excited about it. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of the team. Now, that sounds awesome. So sounds like FinTech is big buzzword for the last two, three years already. Sounds like it's going to go forward. How does kind of your product different from what is in the market right now? Yeah, and that, that's a great question. So h- how we kind of approach the market right now is um, a lot of organizations, um, uh, private companies that we service, there's kind of two spectrums, two perspectives. And, and maybe you get this where, you know, given your background too, Mike, but a lot of like people, um, they, it takes some time to adopt a technology, right? And you and I know, like being tech geeks, we can f- we know what technology can do, right? It can do a lot of cool stuff. Um, but on the flip side of that are the masses. Can you get mass adoption with something that people don't fully understand yet, right? And I, w- I would argue you probably can. So I, I see a lot of, I've seen a lot of technology startups that, that are just, you know, trying to do some really cool things, but it takes five, 10 years for the market to understand it, right? And to get mass adoption, right? So what we're trying to do is use technology solutions that, that work today and any backstops that we need to fill, we, we use bodies for that. We have a professional services team that's very active, right? So we, we kind of look at the, the software space uh, in terms of not just tech, but, but professional people that really understand what our clients need. And so we throw bodies at problems too, if our, if our clients want. So that's, that's how we look at it. So it's technology plus services. And yeah, so far it's been really, really successful. We've, we found some really good niches in, in our respective marketplaces for this. That sounds really interesting. I really echo what you've said about kind of just getting the mass to adopt to a lot of software because one of the big products that came out of Alberta was kind of into it with, you know, with their accounting systems, right? And mm-hmm. there's also a bunch of new ones coming out with zero, but I kind of used 
look at both a little bit and then I'm just surprised. Like sometimes it's the smallest change in the process or the setup from a from a technology standpoint as a software developer now. I couldn't even tell like there was a big difference in the process, but some people would rave about one product versus the other because for so many people, they're so not used to it. Where, But once you lower the hurdle, the technology hurdle just by a little bit enough for them to grasp it, they pick it up so much faster. And I'm just amazed at how much of an incremental difference can make in terms of getting people to start using a product. So that's really fascinating. You mentioned that. And I, I love that you guys are also looking at having the professional services as a backstop because I think that as a finance, we all know control. We have to deliver on results. Mm-hmm. We can't just say we can't close the book. So that's awesome to hear that. Um, that's a service for that. I think that speaks to a lot of people who may not be willing to try it um, until they actually know it's going to work. So I'm kind of curious. Um, has COVID had any impact on you guys at all or has it, do you think it's going to help you or it's going to hinder you in the future? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So our organization was actually pre COVID uh, 60% of our workforce is remote. Uh, I'm, I'm remote. Uh, most of my team is remote. And so when we went full remote, it was a pretty seamless transition, at least operationally, right? Where, where, where we see a little bit of, you know, kind of variation is how our clients are responding because not all of our clients are a technology company, right? Uh, energy, energy services companies being a prime example, right? You can't, you can't service so well from your living room. So it's, it's a lot of our clients have just been one, trying to grasp the new reality or the current reality. And two, just trying to figure out how they're going to stay in business. Um, and, and so there's, there's been some of that in terms of, you know, working with our clients and trying to find the, the, the ideal sweet spot and how to make sure that they're successful going forward without, you know, terminating the deal. So it's, there's been a lot of creative solutions or some creative solutions that we've gone through, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's, it's been pretty good. I, I think, uh, from my, my vantage point, uh, we still have lots of clients that are, that are actively engaged and, uh, willing to, to help us as a product organization, push the product forward in the right direction. So uh, high levels of engagement and, and maybe even more so now uh, that people are at home and they can focus their efforts a little bit, uh, a little bit more succinctly. Oh, that's awesome. That's good to hear. And I think it's good to hear from, uh, from the investment standpoint that you guys are still very optimistic in the outlook. So I think it's going to help a lot of people get sleep a little better at night. So you're working as a product manager and that's, quite a bit of a shift from where you're working on in terms of the private equity um, venture capital side of things. Can you kind of tell me a little bit how you get into it and how much of a change has it been in terms of your day-to-day between the two? Yeah, that's a great question because what I'm really doing is kind of bridging the gap between, you know, traditional finance perspectives and technology perspectives. Um, And that's where I spend most of my time is kind of in that gray area, if you will. Um, and so for me, the, the, the biggest differences are just how you approach problems. Um, cause it, in a traditional finance world, even going through, you know, university, like I'm, I'm working on my master's right now and, and we can get into uh, a few things I want to talk about, but from that perspective, you can put any number on a spreadsheet and you, you forecast everything out and it looks nice. It looks perfect. You set your discount rate and you get your result and it looks comfortable right? You feel like you understand the problem. Um, in, in venture, in any startup activity, like it's kind of meaningless, right? Like you can forecast all you want until you actually have results to, to benchmark against. Everything you put in that spreadsheet is, is inc- going to be incorrect one way or the other. 
And, and, and so it's, it's kind of troubling at first, at least this is what I found bridging that gap. How do you, how do you take something out of nothing? How do you, how do you create a software solution that has value uh, when you can't benchmark it out? How do you convince the executive team that they should do this? How do you go out and pitch angel investors or venture investors um, that, that your idea is a solid one? And so how, really what, what we found was, or what I found is just iterating on small wins. So like any, 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 any startup endeavor, whether it's I'm, I'm bringing a new product to market inside my organization, or I've got an idea that I want to bring to market. And what I find is, is like, if you can iterate on small successes, like how do I know this is going to work? Do people even care? So instead of going, spending a hundred grand and hiring a third party shop to develop it out, test it, talk to people, set up a newsletter, set up, set up just a landing page where people just give their email address for future updates. Like do something that proves that this is going to work. Because if you don't do that, uh, you can end up spending a lot of money and, ch- and chasing a fool's errand. And I've, I've, I've done that and it's, it's painful. Um, and just please don't do that. Right. Like tech, <laughs> tech is one of those things where, where you can, you can go out and you could try things for a thousand dollars less. Like it's, it's nothing to set up a website, get a domain and get an email address. Anybody can do that. And, and as long as you do that and you, tr- you start to iterate on, on the ideas and get your small wins first, you start to build, to build momentum. Now, now that we know people are interested, okay, what specifically are they interested about? Well, I thought it was this, this was my initial product thesis. Well, it turns out, you know, it's, it's actually tangent to that. They don't really care about the problem I thought they cared about. And so you keep iterating, you keep asking, you keep talking, you keep growing. And it, it kind of snowballs at some point where you can get some critical mass. And as long as you can build out your, your core client network and you can serve them well, you know, you should be able to hit scale as long as long as the market's big enough for it, which most are. So that's what I found is just getting over the fear of, of the unknown. That's that sounds like really interesting pieces of how you can just take the small wins that you can get. And basically, whatever data you have, right, unless you have some kind of data, there's no point doing a giant spreadsheet. So I'm kind of curious, though, because based on the conversation you just talked about, as a finance professional working in in a in a startup, I mean, it sounds almost like you're you basically product or operation focused up to the point, and then you have to start switching your brains over to thinking more like finance. So, at what point, based on your experience, at what point does the startup or the founders or even their finance lead person needs to start thinking it switching from a strategy product mindset and start thinking about finance? Yeah, I, I think as soon as you start getting the numbers in the door, uh, the checks the checks get written, the invoices get sent out. I, I think that's when it starts to get real, right? Um, <laughs> and, and from that perspective too, it's it's shifting your brain to to really what a finance accountant is supposed to do, right? Capital allocation, uh, good projects, making sure we got enough working capital, and and making sure that our investors are happy, right? Obviously, that's an oversimplification, but you know, I kind of think it falls under those buckets. And so, really, I see the finance role as as an as an operations specialist who's who's very specialized in in finance, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's those roles traditional. Whether you're in a venture firm, whether you're a CFO at a startup, um, you've got a lot of balls in the air. You have your bosses, the, the executives to please and give them reports and, and making sure that there's enough fuel in the tank of the, of the company. So there's just a lot going on. And so understanding and becoming a master at, at processes is where I think 
the most CFOs are the most successful because a CFO at a startup, you're doing it all. A lot of them do the books. A lot of them do the tax return. Uh, and a lot of them pitch investors too. So that's, <laughs> that's a broad scope, right? To yeah. do, to do all of it well. And you can't do it without good processes in place. No, that sounds good. So now just for people, I, I feel like I jumped a little bit when I asked the question. So just for people who may not know what a product manager is, in your definition, what is a product manager? In my, in my definition, a product manager is a startup founder who has access to a capital pool and the capital pool simply being the company. Because I, I come up with ideas all the time. You know, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And uh, my boss will say the same thing. That's, that's great. How do we know it's going to work? And two, can, can, can we get capital allocated for it? Um, and it's the same thing. It's just my, my pipeline to capital is just a lot is streamlined. It's easy. Um, all I got to do is convince the executive team to do it um, and convince them it's a good idea, obviously based on science as much as possible. Right. Um, so to me, that's the biggest, biggest difference between, you know, a startup founder and, and a product manager. A product manager is, is in charge of bringing good products to market. Um, now, you, you, you could be on the uh, uh, kind of the regular business line from a product manager standpoint where you're just working with executive uh, current clients on either new features or just uh, software improvements. Or you could be in charge of bringing whole new lines of business to the market, something that the firm's never even thought about. And that's going to depend on the organization you work for and the appetite of the executive team. That sounds really great because that's what I've been looking at for like the last I would say three or four years because in the last little bit, a big topic came out in finance called like being a finance business partner. And I really kind of, there's just a lot of finance competency in there, but in there to me, essentially just a lot of it was really what you just talking about was treating yourself like a product manager, not just because um, you are going to be doing a day-to-day finance job. But at the same time, you need to be as a finance person within a company to be able to offer different an- analysis different um, reports or different tools to, for the business to really analyze the day-to-day operation. So you being the operation specialist can offer those insights faster or easier or things that they may not have thought about. So to me, a lot of the time as a finance kind of business partner, really essentially you are a product owner for finance, but your internal client is essentially everybody who are in executive or middle management. Um, so I really find it really fascinating because for me, it really having that definition really ties in what a lot of the finance roles needs to be internally and how it's supporting internal customer. Cause people always see finance as a supporting role, but to me, no, it's still a business on its own in a way because you really have a lot of internal customers, essentially all executives and all middle managers. So that's great. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Now I just want to talk a little bit about lessons learned I love your whole journey in terms of into uh, kind of product management and some of the new processes. What is the most memorable lesson you have learned? Yeah, that's 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 a great question and probably one of the hardest ones for me to answer. Not because I don't know what it is, but probably because how painful it is for me. And because I, I learned this lesson the hard the hard way. It took me a long time to learn this lesson. Um, but my, the, I think the biggest thing, like we we can all focus on technical skills. Like that's easy. Read a book, you know, (laughs) log into Udemy and pay for a course. Like you can acquire skills at a rapid rate and it never stops. Um, and it never has to stop if you don't want it to. Um, but one thing I, I, I neglected for years is my ability to relate with other humans. Like I, I was, I was the spreadsheet nerd and I still love it. 
but I, I, it took me a while to grow into this idea that, you know, Hey, not everybody thinks like I do. Not everybody's going to have the same worldview as I do. And not everyone's going to think about problems the way I do. So how can I communicate my ideas to people that just don't understand how I think? And so when I started to think about that problem, I started to work on, okay, well, this is, this is different ways to pitch an idea. This is different ways to present a problem. Uh, Hey, just, you know, maybe just grab a beer with somebody and hang out. Um, it, It doesn't always have to be about the end goal. And so becoming more relatable is, is really what I think is, was my biggest hurdle that took me years to, to get over. And I'm, I'm still learning. I could still be awkward. Um, but it's, I think it's one of those things that's probably the most important thing that anybody should be thinking about, whether you're just starting out your career or your, your late stage, you know, pe- people matter. Yeah. And that's, it's fascinating that you mentioned that because that's been, I would say, the typical kind of conventional view of like the Achilles heel for very technical or the accounting people, like the engineers and the accountants, they was like, Oh, you know, we just sit there and look at a spreadsheet. So I think that's great advice for people in the, in the finance field, even in the tech field to really think about, you know, how do you present your ideas? Cause you have, your ideas may worth a lot of money, but if you can't communicate to anybody, it's not really worth anything. That's right. Uh, yeah. So I'm kind of curious. Now you're talking a little bit about, <clears throat> touch on a little bit about kind of traditional finance roles. And I know from an accounting perspective, everybody that I've learned about, because um, I actually came from a, a developer first, and then I went into accounting and got my accounting designation. And now I'm actually returning back to software development. But I always find it fascinating is how many people in accounting finance roles who got their designation in CPA or CFAs have a very interesting view of what careers look like. Um, I noticed CA wasn't really something you wanted to do earlier on, but now you've came back and think about accounting um, as a master's degree. So just want to get a sense of like, how, what are your perspective around how, finance and accounting and how do you think about career in general? Yeah. And great question, Mike. So to answer kind of like the first one about career in general, it's kind of two things. It's, it's one, uh, just finding the skills in the fields uh, and, and, and harvesting those skills out in the fields that are interest of you. And for me, what's the most interesting is finance and accounting, the numbers behind a business, uh, the, the business side and the operation side also very, I'm also very passionate about, but the, the finance and the accounting side is also something I, I quite enjoy. And so that's, that's why I'm, I'm developing those skills. Cause I've, I've spent a bulk of my career, uh, the first part of my career in accounting and finance and then tech, fintech. Um, and maybe at some point I, I branch out into a CFO role in, in, in a startup. I don't know what that path is going to look like. All I know today is what I'm interested in and where I want to go. And so it's not a destination in terms of, um, you know, I have my goals. I have timelines around my goals. But on the flip side of that, there's a probability it might not happen. So I'm, I'm just trying to maximize my odds and, and to get to the, to the, the career that I ultimately want. Um, I'm happy with what I'm doing now. And so, and, and working with the CFOs that I work with today, I find the more educated I am, the more I can talk like them, the more rapport I get. And that just makes dealing with these people just a lot easier. Um, they're, they're more receptive to, to thoughts, questions, helping us out as a business and, and as a, as a product manager. And so it's, it's that soft side of it 
that's that I find really compelling and really interesting. Um, and without, you know, talking the talk, how can you walk the walk? And that's that's how I look at uh, career today as well as down the road. I love to hear about your, your approach to looking at career in, in terms of like a bit of a portfolio. You know, at what time when you when your trajectory start changing, you have to get more skills that you needed to supplement your portfolio and then seeing how you need to do that um, as you're going along because there's no one destination, right? Because you could get to be like a billionaire or whatever career you wanted in so many different ways and there's not one path anymore to do that. So I really like that um, approach you're taking. Um, so I'm kind of looking at it for so many, there's so many changes right now going on and people come in university with all this uncertainty. What would be one piece of it? And I know that you've done a lot of mentoring, you know, for startup students at U of A and some of the startup Calgary um, st- um, um, kind of startup founders. So what is one piece of advice you, ha- you have for them in terms of just looking at the career as a whole? Um, what is one thing that you think or one skill that they should have that they should look at investing in the future so that they can be successful in the next decade? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so what I think, Mike, honestly, is uh, my perspective around success is it's all about doing and you're going to fail. It's going to be painful at times. But if unless you go out and you do something, how do you know that you're going to like it? How do you know it's going to work? And if you don't do it, you're just going to sit there and wonder about it for the rest of your life anyways. So why not try it? And there's, there's never been a better time to do that. And what I mean by that is like in the technology world that we live in today, like, again, like you could start up, start up for a thousand bucks. You can go work at Starbucks and save up for, you know, a month or two Mm -hmm. and then start a startup. Like it's, it's so easy to do this. And there's so many resources in, in Alberta for that. And the government throws money at ideas like this. And, you know, there's grants and there's, there's so many resources to go out and to try things. And you should do that. Uh, so just go out and give it a shot, especially if you're just at a university. You, yeah, you might have some student loans, that sucks. Uh, but you know what, if you, if you don't have a job, just go do something. Start a website, start a blog, just just go out and try it. And if, if it doesn't work, great, now you know, and you can try something else or you can go get a job. But you at least you'll have the experience uh, and you'll gain some skills that school can't teach you. School doesn't teach us a lot. <laughs> Don't tell it to universities. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love education, but yeah, it, yep. it's not always right. Well, no, I think you hit on the point earlier, right? Is because you never really know where you're going to go from a portfolio standpoint. You really have to take a balanced approach in terms of getting formal structured education versus hands-on edu- hands-on experiences of actually just being out in the church, just getting your hands dirty and doing things. So that's really good advice for everyone. Now, I just I love the example of just going out there because I actually recently mentor, been helping one of the student groups that um, working on a business idea out of one of the hackathons that UFC did on uh, one of the COVID hackathons that they did back in I think April or May, and it was fascinating because one of the topics we went into was about you know they were concerned about funding as they scale or they look at ideas like where to get money because they're just students they don't even the families almost basically supporting them so everything they have is just sweat equity um, and they don't really have a lot of ways to look at that. So what are your kind of, I know you have experience in the venture capital angel um, funding area. Like what is your kind of advice or thought around when people need to start looking into 
more serious fundings other than just your mom and pop, your mom, your family kind of giving you the initial funding rounds? Yeah, behind the uh, friends, family, and you know, some people call it fools, but I, I don't necessarily <laughs> subscribe to that. But you know, but, but behind it, round F and F, uh, friends and family, um, you know, it's really about metrics. And like, you, if if you go out and say you got an idea, you've tested it, you think there's interest, uh, you raise fifty thousand dollars from from your network, your friends and family network, and you've got let's say you got a prototype out. Um, what an investor is going to want to see is data. I know this is going to work or there's a high probability that this is going to work because of these metrics. I have pre-signed 10 clients and they're all, and I've got it in writing and they're going to tell me they will pay $10,000 a year if I deliver this. If you give that to prospective investors, that's going to go a long way. It's at the end of the day, the, the those folks, angels, early stage VC investors, what they care about is metrics around how this is going to work. You know, you, you hear uh, on the news, so-and-so got funded $10 million because of their idea. Well, that, that rarely happens. <laughs> yep. Right. And a lot of the angels that I've spoken to, you know, would you ask the question, would you invest in a company that is pre-revenue 99 times out of hundred, they'll say no. So you got to have something, you got to have something to prove that you've got a market that's willing to pay for it. Having something cool is good. Having something that someone's going to pay for is best. And that's what they're looking for. That's awesome advice. And I think it's going to help a lot getting that perspective from kind of for a lot of people who are starting out because I can only see more and more people is going to try to go to the startup routes now with the economy going the way it is. So what are your thoughts based on what you're seeing today and kind of your network? What would Alberta's kind of startup ecosystem looks like in five years? Yeah, it's coming. Um, what, what I kind of, how I kind of break it out is, is kind of general stage of funding round, if you will. Um, so any kind of venture, venture back startup is going to go through friends and family and seed money, and it's going to go series A, series B, series C, series D. And we don't have a lot of series C, series D companies in, in the province yet. Like there's a couple of bigger ones, uh, and, and a lot of great tech companies got their start here. And that's awesome for the province. Um, Right now, I kind of see us still at, you know, the seed. You know, a couple of years ago, it was kind of pre-seed, angel, um, and but we are starting to grow out. And so Series A, Series B, in five years, we're going to see more companies in the Series B, Series C stage. And that's great. That's great for the province. And one couple of things that we're, that I think the government does a great job at, uh, either at the federal level or the, or the provincial level, is, is support these people. Like, you go down to Silicon Valley and you have all the brand names. Like you can go to a Google pitch night. You can go and pitch at Y Combinator. Like there's, there's these brand names out there, but you don't have government money chasing ideas here. You do. And so the, the government has, has set up a lot of great organizations like TechTerra, uh, a lot of these other grant based institutions that are giving grants out. And there's, and OKR Financial is another one where they'll, they'll lend money based on shred credits. Like there's, there's a lot of great organizations out here that, that support that ecosystem. And uh, we're doing a great job at that. We got to keep doing that. We got to keep promoting this. Um, and just it's wet noodles at a board, really at a macro level. The more noodles we can chuck at the board, the more unicorns we're going to see in this province. And we just need to increase that velocity. And that's what it's about. 
uh, the CDLs of the world, the, the incubators that are here in the province, um, they're doing a great job. Uh, we just need to, to build up the ecosystem and get that interest in getting people to try, to just take an idea and do it. Because we have, we have the capabilities here. We have the capital here. Uh, all we need is the velocity at the startup side. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing kind of your perspective from kind of your history with the angel fund, you know, venture capital side. So unfortunately, time is almost running out. But before we go, I want to ask you kind of the question I ask everybody. What are you reading or learning about on your journey of continuous learning right now? Yeah, that's that's, that's great. Um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of read a lot. I'm, I'm a bit of a geek. Um, what, what I try to do is I try to read for pleasure. Um, and one, one of the things that, um, I often go back to is, uh, is a book by Paulo Coelho, uh, the alchemist. And it's, you know, really a fancy, if, you, if you're not familiar, it's a, it's a really good read on kind of meta energy and, and the limits of the human mind. And what I appreciate about a book like that is it gets you thinking outside of the box, and if we, if we, we as software people, if we continue to think inside the box, we're going to get inside the box results. That's awesome. So before we let everybody go, um, where can people find more about you or the work you're doing right now? Yeah, great question. Uh, I, I keep a really low profile. Um, you, you can find me at uh, Valhalla Pitch Nights in Calgary uh, from time to time. You can find me on LinkedIn. Matthew Lee CFA. If anyone wants to connect, feel free. Um, but that's where I spend most of my time right now. I'm a big believer in making my clients happy and making my bosses happy. That's I'm pretty silent that way. Nice. So we'll definitely have some of those links to the, your book that you mentioned about Alchemist and some of the places where they can find you, Matt. So thank you again for joining us today, Matt. And uh, it's always been a pleasure every time we talk to you. Awesome. Thank you very much. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>